Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. Welcome to the Right Now-ish podcast. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. I am also the son of Dolores and Pendarvis, as well as the grandchild of four folks who have deep roots to the Ohio Valley, Washington, D.C., and the rich soil of Alabama. I can trace my lineage back maybe one generation beyond my grandparents. But after that, the details get sketchy. I've done some digging and reading and questioning, but I've never deeply, deeply investigated my inquiries. You know, I'm not like out here pulling up to the county's records office or anything like that. But today's guest, Alex Traps Chabala, has taken his personal interest in family records and created a career of it. He's a young genealogist who specializes in researching African-American family stories. I'm literally living and breathing family history all day. Alex says he's worked on individual cases as a sort of family tree detective. And he tells me that he's personally traveled to the South to digitize hundreds of records. He's also founded a business called The Kin Connector. And he has some big aspirations. Like, I really want every corner of the hood to be able to push a button and say, oh, okay, my grandmom and them are all from, you know, Connecticut County, Alabama, and lived here and there. And I know that they were enslaved by so-and-so. Alex and I discuss what it means to research black folks' history in America by looking at science, social constructs, and stories, and how this all relates to the conversation about reparations. Hold tight. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The work that you do now, what does it look like? What are the ins and outs of it? So a typical day for me looks like combing through 
tons of census records and vital records on an individual's family. Um, and then looking through newspaper reports and obituaries and court cases, whatever is available in order to kind of piece together a family's history. Um, but then also it involves me combating systems that would otherwise not want us to have that information. I've witnessed records like literally be destroyed in front of my face just because someone's grandfather was involved in, you know, something that may not look good in 2020 standards. So I have to work with these librarians and archivists and convince them, you know, that our stories are worthy to be told. I've been called every racial slur under the sun, but I'm equipped for it because I've been doing it so long and I've kind of learned my way around those systems. Doing it so long, how old are you? So I'm 25 and I started, um, I started with my own family history when I was about 12 and I became one of the youngest certified genealogists at 16. I was raised here in the Bay Area, and when youth in my family hit like double digits and start kind of getting smart mouths, we get sent to Alabama. So I was one of those kids getting a little wild when I was about 12, and I got sent to live with my great-grandmother. And this woman was known for being really strict and firm, but when I got down there, she just exposed me to my family history. And she started taking me to old family cemeteries, to old family homesteads and telling me all of these stories. And that really made me want to learn more and get past what she knew. I was a 12-year-old black boy researching really off of a Metro PC phone. But at the time, there wasn't much information available for black folks, especially black folks from the South, to learn about their family histories online. And when you get some of these, you know, like really well-known genealogists and kind of famous folks, if you ask them to research a black person's family history, like they might almost freeze up and tell you that it's impossible. And it's not, it's not impossible. So I've just been on a mission for the last decade, basically of my life, trying to change that narrative. Inside this courthouse that was built around the 1880s, that housed many of the records involving enslavement, separations and auctions of, of our ancestors from this community. This summer, I was able to travel to Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. And I was basically just going and collecting uh, midwife records from those areas, particularly in Alabama. Those records date back to the late 1800s. And for black folks, especially in the South, in the rural South, um, were delivered by midwives. But these midwives were the go-to healers for the community. They were the doctors, the nurses. They were the registrars of pretty much every family around. And I'm down here to do a little on-site research about my own family, but also everyone around here. So we're going to do some recording about what we find as we go. And I've been basically digitizing all of their records because they recorded information on every single family. This box has Negro births written all over it. These things are so brittle and fragile that we have to use white gloves in order to lift them out. These families wouldn't be documented on Ancestry.com for all intents and purposes. So for those of us that descend from that area, this is a huge tool because it takes our research back even further and kind of contextualizes it a little bit more. What do you do in that instance when you run into records of slavery? I interact with records of slavery pretty much every day. But 
it's always an emotional experience because you're seeing them written down as property. You're seeing them in their names next to cattle and furniture. For each client, I give them the option in disclosure that we're entering into this period of enslavement or anything traumatic in their histories. Um, and I give them the option to engage with it. Um, but I try to spell it out in a way that does not erase or kind of sugarcoat any other racist bullshit that we're going to interact with in our family's history. So if I mention that someone's ancestor was enslaved, then we're going to name their enslaver. And we're going to name them as a willful participant in enslavement and the human, in human cargo or human cattle. But then also explain all of the factors involved, not just, you know, the negative part. I explain how your family survived it. So, you know, reminding folks that you're here after your family survived this moment and in order for you to be here. On the note of generational impact, 1927 Mississippi River flood. How did that impact Black folks in America? That situation basically began this huge dispersal of Black folks, but also it basically re-enslaved Black folks who were in the area. So Black people were put in um, basically labor camps and living camps where they were like, if you don't work and build these levees and get rid of some of the damage of the flood, you can be shot and killed and nobody will find you, or you can be imprisoned. So because of that, you had many people from Mississippi going up to Chicago because it was, you know, this hub of racial progress, people dispersing all over the place. In Sacramento, where I was raised, mostly, there's this community called Oak Park. Oak Park is basically little Mississippi of California. Um, so people can trace their ancestry right there to Mississippi after the 1927 flood. So in family history, I always look for that. If I notice a family was in one place in 1920 and another place in 1930, I'm definitely taking that flood into account. It's story. It's more than just DNA. It's more than just the science. It's also like the social aspect of it. You know, it's like how this person interacted with society. And it makes me wonder how your work intertwines with this current conversation around reparations in California. For those of us that are, you know, descendants of enslavement, we can't really have a conversation about reparations without knowing the individuals who are involved, right, in our own lineage. So reparations, we can, you know, start with enslavement, but also we need reparations for redlining. We need reparations for gerrymandering. We need reparations for mass incarcerations. So until we can name every part of our family that was, you know, a recipient of these traumas and of this discord and anti-blackness, then we really can't directly be able to benefit from reparations. My goal with Kin Connector is for folks to be able to just push that button and say, oh, no, my grandmother was here when this happened and witnessed this. Run me my check. <laughs> Imagine the world that we, that we would have, you know? Right, right. Alex Traps Chabala, the genealogist. Thank you for your time, for your research, and for your perspective on the future. You all can keep up with Alex on social media at Alex with the Facts on Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to check out his business, The Kin Connector. Shout out to Reginald Constant, who suggested that we feature Alex on Right Nowish. You are appreciated. If you want to nominate someone, check out our website at kqed.org slash right nowish and complete the pop-up form. The producer behind this episode is Marisol Medina-Cadena. Our editor is Jessica Plachik. Our engineer is Seal Muller. 
Engagement team, Kiana Mogadam, Lena Blanco, Sarah Pineda, and Vita Kong. KQED execs are Erica Aguilar, David Marcus, and Holly Kernan. Before I let you go, gotta let everyone know out there that you should call your loved ones. I'm your host, Pindarvis Harshaw. Thank you for listening to Right Nowish. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.